It's been said that what causes you to suffer is one of the surest indications of what it is that you believe. In the book of Job, we will see what caused Job to suffer. We will see what he believed as a result of his suffering. And in our series this month is Tell Me the Secrets of Victory. And I have to let you know, you're, you're in for a real treat because today is part one of actually a two-part message. So that means you're going to have to come back next week to hear all of it because there was so much in Job, I couldn't just break it down to just one two-and-a-half-hour message. So we've got two two-and-a-half-hour messages. And back in the day, they called that revival. But anyways, it's a two-part message on, on the lessons from Job about victory and what we can learn from his life in that, that time, that season that he went through. This morning, we're going to look at four aspects of Job's story. We're going to look at the testing of Job, the trial of Job. Yes, those are different. And we're also going to look at the truth of Job and then the triumph of Job. So that's what we're going to look at this week. Next week, we're going to look at a few other things about Job. Uh, For those of you who don't know, by the way, the word triumph in the Hebrew language translates to victory. Okay, I may have just made that up, but I thought it fit really well. (laughs) And it seems like it would go hand in hand, triumph and victory. And so, um, but here's a spoiler alert. The secret to victory for Job was two things that we're going to think about, look at today. Perception and patience, okay? We're going to unfold these two things as we dig a little bit deeper into the secrets of victory this morning. Will you pray with me? Father God, we, we come here just grateful that, that you have gone before us. Um, and as we look at lessons we can learn from Job and how all the things that took place in his life, his, his perception of you didn't change. And his patience and waiting on you to do the things you said you would do, the promises that you made, you kept uh, for Job, and you keep those for us as well. I pray that as we open up your word, we'll open up our hearts and our minds to not just hear something unique or different, but that we'll leave here wanting to live out and be a better example of the things we've heard. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. If you haven't already, go ahead and turn to the book of Job. We're going to be highlighting some different areas today. Now, I have to warn you, today we're covering like 40 chapters of Job, all right? The, but just the first 40. So uh, that's where we're headed. I'm going to start off at chapters 1 and 2, basically. Uh, and we're going to look at the life of what Scripture says is a very good man. So if you would... Turn to Job chapter 1, and we're going to start off with verse 1. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. Now, you'll want to take note of this next, this itemized list here. He owned 7,000 sheep. That's a lot of sheep. 3,000 camels. Again, a lot of camels. 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. I kind of undersold it there where I said he was a good man. Scripture says he was the greatest man. Okay? His sons used to hold feasts. We're in verse 4, by the way. His sons used to hold feasts in their homes on their birthdays, and they would invite their three sisters, to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for them to be purified. Listen, he was so good that 
that after his adult children would hold feasts, he would have a sacrifice for them and over them on their behalf just in case they went a little too far in their celebration. Okay, Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, uh, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. <clears throat> Verse 6 says that, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Verse 9, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, we need to understand a few things here. First off, Satan is not tricking the Lord, okay? He's not, he's not leading the Lord into some kind of side bed or gamble here because you have to remember God already knows how this is going to play out. He already told Satan what he knew of Job and what God knows of someone is truth, okay? So he already knew how this was going to play out for Job, for his family, and God knew how this was going to play out for God's glory. Some people would say the story of Job is... Is kind of a prequel, if you will, to how Jesus is going to come and then later route Satan in uh, conquering death and sin. But that's just what some people say. Look at verse 13. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants of the, to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Now I want you to pause before I continue. I want you to think about how bad news has been presented to you. There are a lot of different ways to, to present bad news to someone. And, and typically, we're good emotionally for about two doses of bad news at one time. All right. So here's dose number one. The Sabians have attacked. I'm the only servant left. While he was still speaking, (laughs) he's still telling the story. And another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep. I don't know why that's funny to me, but it is. I'm sorry. Uh, The fire from heavens burned up the sheep, the servants. And I'm the only one who's escaped to tell you. That's two. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put your servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, are you keeping count? This is four. At about number 2.5, I would have been going into like cardiac arrest. Uh, It's the big one. I can't take it. While he was still speaking, another messenger came. And this is the one right here. Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them. They are dead. 
and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. It's one thing to lose an animal, okay? I had many pets run away when I was little, all right? That's what my parents said, and I believed them, okay? It's one thing to lose an animal. It's, it's one thing to lose all your animals, all of his kids. And it was just one after the other. After the, before the messengers were even done speaking, he didn't have time to, to really even take in his first loss. And then the next guy was here going, oh, by the way. He didn't have time to really process that. And then the third guy was like, oh, by the way. And if that wasn't enough, a fourth guy comes in and says, oh, it's just you and your wife now. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. And then he fell to the ground in worship. I had to pause right there and say, what? How can he do that? I have somebody like cut me off at the traffic circle on the way to church and I'm angry coming to worship. You know, Job gets like all this, this truckloads of bad news. And the first thing he does is, is he prepares himself for, for the, just the, the, the most worship he can muster. He shaves his head. He tears. He's showing God. Yes, I'm sad. He tears his garments. That was, that was part of it. And then he worships. And then he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And verse 22 says, In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. I've preached many funerals. And I've often... It's okay to question God. Understand that. I've seen very few people truly worship at the loss of someone. But that's one of the things that Job is showing us here. The secret to victory is knowing that God is who He says He is no matter what's going on around you. When we look at chapter 2, it tells us another time the angels and Satan came before the Lord. Uh, and Satan said to the Lord, and they, he was referring to Job, or in verse 4, by the way, uh, skin for skin, Satan replied, a man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. That's misery. Have you ever had a cast on your arm or on your leg? And like down right in the middle, it always seems to start itching. It's, it's that kind of, oh, nothing can get to it. You grab like a coat hanger. He can't find any relief. He's, he's scraping himself with broken pottery, sitting in ash, and his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And the Bible tells us in all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Not only was Job a good man, he was a much better man than me or you. I, I can guarantee you that. We have the smallest of afflictions and, and we just can't seem to even think right. And here's Job with all this stuff going wrong. And now he's physically struck 
with, with boils or whatever they are. And he says to his wife, how can we accept good from God? He, he realizes everything he had was a gift from God. How can we accept what's good from God and not trouble? Job was a good man. He was faithful to God. While Satan was testing him, he was faithful. How about you? Are you ready to remain faithful to God no matter what season of life you're in? That's where Job was. And that's what God knew about Job before this ever started. He knew where Job was. He knew Job would remain faithful to him no matter what Satan put on him. Job is already showing us that he is patiently waiting for God to restore him. He even says to his wife, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And he's showing us his perception here, ladies and gentlemen. His understanding of God is not changing. Even when he's lost everything, he's lost his animals, his children, even when his physical health is being tested, his perception of God is not changing. He knows that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says he will do. And that one statement from Job, shall we accept good from God and not trouble, shows us that his perception about God is not wavering. If you read chapter 3 through chapter 37, see, I'm going to put that on you, but I'm going to summarize it a little bit. You will see that Job's friends came to sit with him and encourage him. Why? Because misery loves company. And when we're, when we're not doing well, we love people to be around us. Bring comfort, if you will. But sometimes when we show up with good intentions and with comfort, we provide further trials. That's what Job's friends did. They, they showed up, they had good intentions, but each of his friends in their own way completely misunderstands what's going on in Job's life. They, they try to give him some direction, they try to give him something, but it's, it's really off base. And, and don't just take my word for it. I want you to read this this week. You can see if, if I'm off base, but this is how I understand it. Each of his friends in his own way, just they misunderstood what was going on in Job's life. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been struggling through something? Maybe, it, maybe a loss of a family member or maybe just a big issue. And, and a well-meaning friend comes by to encourage you and they say something like this, something really profound. Well, it's been a few weeks. Are things getting back to normal for you yet? And you're, you're suffering through a loss and you think, there may never be normal for me again. What? I can't believe you would say that. And that's what we do. We have, we have good intentions. Job didn't know when things would be getting back to normal for him. But he did know that God was bigger than all of the things that were going on around him. He knew that God was there. His perception of God never changed. And when you look at Job chapter 38 through 41, you'll see that God now comes back around and he and Job are having a conversation. And that's what we're going to pick up in chapter 38 verse 1. The Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. That is terrifying to me, by the way. To, to think that there's a storm. It's, it's windy. When you read into the, what's going on, there's a storm. God speaks to Job out of the storm. And he says to Job, I will question you. You will answer Whoa. Now, all the way through this, we're seeing that Job is a righteous man, that he hasn't sinned against God. He hasn't done anything wrong. But just the fact that God's saying, I'm going to question, you're going to answer. It's kind of like as a parent, when you know what your kids have done, and you go to them and you go, now I'm going to ask you three questions. And you're going to give me three answers. You're just going to give me answers. I don't want the stories. I just want the answers. 
and your kids already know that you know the answer to the questions you're about to ask, and you're going to ask him anyway, and you're going to, this is kind of it. Job's thinking, he's got to be, th- I haven't done anything wrong. I know, yeah, it's been rough, but God's going to question me, and, and God puts these questions to him. He says, where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Whoa, that's not, why did you eat the last cookie? <laughs> okay. This is God speaking to Job. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Do you understand that? Who marked off its dimensions? Still talking about the earth. Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? This is God asking Job, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? That it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it. God goes on and he's essentially asking Job, if you read through chapter 38, you will see that God is asking Job a very important question. Job, who are you? Your friends have been here. You've listened to what they've had to say. And again, Job hadn't sinned in this, but it's still, it's what's going on in his life. And God is asking Job, who are you? Or maybe another way to think about it is, who do you think you are? Because Job asked God some questions prior to that. Let me ask you a question. Who do you think you are? Who are you? Who are you to tell God what you think you need? Who are you to question the wisdom of God in the season of life that you're going through right now? Who are you? Has God not blessed you? Has He not blessed you with family, with with wealth, with clothes, with food? Has He not given you the things you need? Has He not blessed you with grace? Has He not blessed you with forgiveness for your sins through His Son, Jesus Christ? Who do you think you are to complain because you hit a rough patch? I don't mean to sound insensitive, but boo-hoo. Stop complaining. Wouldn't it be great if we were half as patient with God as He is with us? I talk about Job being patient and waiting on God. Job knew that God was going to take care of things. He didn't have the time. He didn't have a calendar marked going, oh, five more days and oh, I'm going to feel so much better. These things are going to be gone. He didn't know how long it was going to last. But he knew that God was going to restore him. He knew that God would do what he said he would do. If God, if we were half as patient with God as he is with us, How often do we stumble away and then come back, God, I'm sorry. But as soon as something bad happens, God, how could you do that? You took them from us so soon. How could you afflict my son, wife, daughter, whoever with cancer? And then at some point we come back around and we apologize to God for accusing him of that. And 
He forgives us because He's more patient with us than we are with Him. If you want to see the secret of victory unfold in your life, be patient. And not just with God. Be patient, but also no matter what's going on around you, don't ever change your perception about God. Folks, God is still sovereign no matter what's going on in your life. God is still just no matter what decisions you made yesterday and how they play out today. God is still good regardless of the pain or the hurt or the loss or the trial or whatever it is that you're going through, regardless of whether you brought it on yourself or you're suffering because someone else's actions were upon you. God is still just and good and all of these things. Our circumstances don't change or dictate who or what God is. You can tweet that if you want. What happens to us does not change who God is. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He holds space and time in the span of His hand. In, in a few months, I'm going to preach about prayer. And I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert. When I talk about prayer, to really help you wrap your mind around how awesome our God is, I'm going to explain exactly what that means in time and space in the span of God's hand. And it's going to blow your mind. All right? I'm studying NASA website stuff for this, okay? It's going to be awesome. I'm just telling you. It's a spoiler alert. When, when you see the secret of prayer, you want to be here because it's, it's going to be amazing. But that holding space and time in, his, in the span of his hand, he still is, no matter what the, what's going on in your life. What lessons can we learn from Job? We need to be aware of things like oversimplification when we're going through something. We like to come around and go, it's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. Everybody slips up. Don't oversimplify sin. It breaks God's heart. Job's friends were of this idea. They, they were kind of putting on him where the, the trials and prosperity were either the result of sin or obedience. They were trying to help Job figure out what sin he had done against God to have these things happen to him. They were trying to figure out in their own minds what he had done prior to that that was so great that he had all these blessings, these financial and physical blessings. They were wrong. Your trials and your prosperity are not the result of your sin or your obedience to God. They were giving Job a false message. Something else we like to do, we treat the devil like he's not real. We, we sing songs about the devil. You're like, what? Yeah, you know that song. We even sing it in church. We sing songs about the devil in church. We teach them to our kids. If I had a little box, put the devil in. I take him out and punch his face and put him back again. Do you guys not know that song? It's like the only song I remember learning when I was little. You don't want to let the devil out of a box. He's not little and cute and singable. He's real. We underestimate him. He's the father of all lies. And his power is limited by God. And that's a good thing. That should be an encouragement to us. His power is limited by God, but He still has the ability to tempt you. He still has the ability to lead you astray. He is still very powerful. Don't underestimate the devil. Another thing, if you don't have a foundational relationship with God, if you're not all in with God, it's not going to be that hard for Satan to separate you from Him. Because you've got nothing holding you down. You've got no foundation. 
Another lesson from Job we can learn is that we need to let God be God. I have some free advice for you. We actually have this on a magnet on our refrigerator. I love it. It says, yes, there is a God, and no, you are not Him. Let God be God. It's not you. It's a good thing we're not God. One of the main lessons from Job is that our finite human brains will never be able to fully understand the mind and the actions of our infinite God. And so we have a choice to make. We should choose to give glory to the Lord. And in our, but in our instant gratification world that we live in today, sometimes it does require suffering so that we may glorify the Lord. Sometimes we have to experience a loss to really grasp and appreciate how amazing our God is. Another lesson from Job is that whenever God is involved, it's for the best. It's just that simple. God was working out his purposes throughout the whole story of Job. And we'll get into some of that some more next week. But Job came out better in the end than he had been. Spoiler alert, he gets back everything double, just in case you were wondering. Camels, everything. The scripture even says that, that his sons, he has seven sons and three beautiful daughters. Understand that because before at the beginning he just said he had three daughters. Now he has three beautiful daughters. We'll talk about that next week. Everything came back. It's crazy. Job came back better in the end. This is true for us today. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know when God is going to choose to restore you. But when he does, it's going to be amazing. And side note on that. If the only restoration you get from your current situation is eternity in heaven, what more do you need? When you steady your perception of God like Job did and understand that God knows your spiritual strength and he knows your weakness and he is going to be right there with you through whatever it is you're going through because he knows your spiritual condition. God knows your trials and they may take you right to the edge, Job. But they will not take you over the edge. And if you're patient with God, he will restore you. I hope when you read through Job this week that your, your personal perception of God will begin to change. That you'll find there's a need for us to review these lessons of Job from time to time. Because we need to see our trials in life as gifts, maybe rather than as reasons to be upset with God. We should see those trials as gifts, carefully chosen by a loving Father to produce in us a response that will ultimately glorify Him. If we do this, we'll find that there's a need to be thankful. There's a need to to get busy. There's a need to remember all the things that we've promised God. Do you remember how you do that? Lord, you get me through this trial. I promise. Lord, work this out. I promise. Lord, help me back into this situation. I promise every Sunday I'll be there on the front row. (laughs) As Christians, we make promises to God. We don't need to do that. Just live each day for Him. I think we would do well to ask ourselves what sort of things we complain about. Ask yourself, what causes you the greatest amount of pain or the greatest fear? And then thank God that we can overcome those things through Jesus Christ. Are you willing to suffer for Christ as you live for Him? Remember, victory comes from patience and waiting on God. 
and never changing our perception of Him just because our situation changes. This morning we've looked at the testing of Job. We've looked at the trial of Job. We've looked at the truth of Job and the triumph of Job. And I know you just got a small spoiler alert of the triumph of Job. We're really going to get into that next week. The story of Job is a true story of a good man who trusted God, who maintained a confidence in God that couldn't be broken even by Satan. I often think about us and our, I call it spiritual ADD, because we're here and we give our offering and we have communion and we worship and we we hear a message and, and it's a great day and then usually by like Monday morning we've done something stupid. Job's, Job's confidence in God could not even be broken by Satan. I don't know about you, but I am humbled by the story of Job. I get to complaining about how something isn't, is going in my life and, and I think about, wait a minute, God said Job was a righteous man, didn't he? God himself said Job was a righteous man. I know I am far from righteous. And sometimes I need to ask myself, who do you think you are? Why do you think you're above Job? Why do you think you don't deserve to be tested or sifted or challenged or sharpened by God to be stronger, to be more forgiving, to be a better servant, to have the opportunity to use the spirit of self-control more often, to be a, a better leader with humility? Who are you? Who do you think you are? I know who we are. I know who you are. We're broken. We're bruised by this world. Maybe you're confused because you've been listening to your friends instead of to God. Now's the time to change that. Job's friends, they may have meant well, but they didn't give him the best advice. Our friends, your friends, they may mean well, but they don't know the will of God for your life. If you're not spending time in God's Word, you will not understand His will in your life either. It should never be a question of, will we be tempted or will we go through hard times? That's going to happen. It may be happening for you right now. The real question is, how will you respond to God during those temptations and during those hard times? Will you respond with the wisdom of Job's wife? Curse God and die. Just get it over with. Will you respond with the misunderstanding of Job's friends? Will you respond with the wisdom and the humility of Job who at the point of losing everything tore his robe and shaved his head and then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. You see, in his pain and his loss, he chose to honor God. He chose to worship God through that. You see, the secret of victory is in the choices that we make. And Job chose to be patient and wait on God for restoration. Job chose to believe in the promises of God. His perception, his understanding of, how God never, of, how, of who God is never changed, no matter how awful his circumstances were. How about you? As we come to our response time today, how will you respond to God? I don't know what season of life you're in or what struggle you may be going through, but I know that if you choose to honor God through it, you will obtain victory. You see, our ultimate victory has already been taken care of. Jesus Christ came. He died for our sins. He beat death and sin, and He rose from the dead. He's in heaven preparing a place for us now. That's what Scripture says. 
Maybe your response this morning is to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you just need some prayer and encouragement and accountability as you go through a a rough season in your life. The elders are here. They'd like to go and talk and pray with you and to, to be accountable with you so that you can honor God through this tough time. But whatever your response is this morning, will you stand and sing our response song with us and decide how you will respond to God? It's been great to be here with you all and to worship with you this morning, but now it's time to go. As you go this morning, go being encouraged by what you've learned about Job and how he responded to God during the trials of his life. Go, remembering the secrets of victory that you've learned from the lessons of Job's life. Go knowing that no matter what happens this week, you will choose to honor God regardless of what everyone else around you chooses to do. Don't let your circumstances change your perceptions about our God. Will you sing this last song with us?